Hey there, welcome to part two of the CadaverCast. I'm Chris Schwartz. And I'm Dustin Denham. Previously in part one, we discussed Shotgun Lolly and the anatomical board. Coming up in part two, a future dean is the first on the scene of a suicide, a medical student volunteers for a cadaverous task, and our peers reflect on their anatomy lab experiences. Roll that theme music. This brings us to Act 3, Act 3, the Rite of Passage. Our third question was, what am I doing here? This question, asked by generations of medical students, comes from a lot of places. It's the natural remark of a rookie anatomist, scalpel in hand, frightened by what he or she has been asked to do. We ask ourselves this question not because we're faced with something new, but rather because we're reminded of something old, something we spend our days trying to avoid. For most of us, the first day of anatomy lab was the closest we've ever been to death. That's more than I can say for these next two former medical students. What What year was this? It must have been, it was the the late 90s. Yeah, so it was like the late 90s. It seems a very archaic story for... Yeah, like I was thinking like this was like early 80s or something. No. Like, that's insane. That's not that long ago. I was alive when this happened. Oh my god. So Dr. Baldwin told us a story about her husband. I'm uh, Dr. Raymond Kutro. I'm an electrophysiologist and I'm the director of the cardiac catheterization lab and the EP lab at the James Haley VA and I'm also a uh, assistant professor of medicine at the University of South Florida College of Medicine. So my husband did a medical school program where he, it's called the PIMS program. PIMS, by the way, stands for Program in Medical Sciences. Basic science years were done in Tallahassee, and then the clinical years were done in Gainesville with the University of Florida. So the following year, I was selected to be a TA to do, you know, A teaching and B prosections of the cadavers. Um, however, there was a uh, either a transportation issue or something didn't work out where we didn't have our cadavers. So uh, myself and a colleague of mine. Uh, no, there's no way. There's definitely a way. Um, we're selected as the two TAs that were, would have the honor and privilege of, of uh, collecting the cadavers for use in, in, in medical school training, and specifically uh, the cadaver lab and for gross anatomy. Dr. Kutro and his friend take off from FSU for Gainesville and arrive in style. Imagine in your mind a Ford, you know, five or six row econo van. Uh, type thing, not not equipped for transporting bodies. We were given uh, very few details, except that we knew where we had to go, which was Shans, and a specific loading dock. And we were given a van, and basically told us that uh, we need to go pick up the bodies, and there'd be someone waiting for us. We arrive and um, are met uh, by some uh, custodial type fellows uh, that were going to help us transport our precious cargo, for lack of a better description. I don't think the custodians knew what they would be getting themselves into. So they lift the loading dock door. 
Walk down the hall. We loaded these bodies onto carts. They came out in these uh, sort of body transportation metal vehicles, for whatever we want to call them, uh, singly and in body bags. Uh, the back doors were and inside doors were open, and um, at, we started opening these up and setting these bodies out on the loading dock. Every employee that was on the loading dock <gasps> ran away screaming because they knew what we had. So, so preface our, 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 our the beginning of our transport back to Tallahassee with that. So here we are loading these bodies in. We're basically putting them. We had, I think, at least eight, if not ten, bodies. So we had to and put... You're loading, and you're loading the bodies with no help, right? Because all your help just vanished? Absolutely correct. It was just myself and and uh, and my buddy. Right, now here we are, on, you know, pulling out on Archer Road. With ten, eight to ten, I can't recall the exact amount, eight to ten cadavers in a van headed north. So really just very, very minimal paper documentation that we have medical scientific my, bodies donated to medical science and these will be transported back to Florida State. So uh, it was a very eerie ride back. It was eerily quiet. I think at times in my imagination, letting it run, that stretch of I-10 gets a little, a little uh, boring. I, I sort of imagined bodies rising up out of the back of my seat. I think my my, my buddy was a little more on, on edge about things and because he was a little a, a little worried. His friend Hector is Catholic and very old school and was doing the sign of the cross like continuously throughout the like entire process of the bodies being loaded onto the van as they were driving and as if God wasn't looking fondly on this trip. Yes, yes. Apparently, the 11th commandment is, thou shalt not transport bodies for scientific study. Those cadavers ended up being the ones that they and their classmates dissected on the first day of Cadaver Lab. Speaking of which, Chris, do you remember your first day of Cadaver Lab? Of course I do, but probably not as vividly as Dr. Lockwood. I, I remember very vividly for kind of a sad reason. Charles Lockwood, and I'm the dean of the Morsani College of Medicine. And I had just started, uh, it was my first week at the University of Pennsylvania. And um, I went to check my mail before I was going to walk over to anatomy class. And I was living at that time in a building called the Grad Towers that's still there. Um, and the mail room was kind of in an alcove that jutted out toward the street a big 16-story building. And so I was getting my mail uh, from my little mailbox, and I heard this tremendous thud and ran out, and you could kind of walk onto the roof from stairs, and there was a body there. And to make a long story short, one of the dental students had committed suicide. It was the first time I had ever seen a, a dead person. Um, it was obviously, the person was obviously dead. You just could tell by the configuration of, of, of the body and not that I would have known what to do on my first week of medical school anyways but uh, you know I was I was stunned by this and then went to anatomy class and um, I have to say that 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 uh, it probably altered my my ability to absorb information for a, a few days but it, it also oddly enough, uh, made me much more comfortable looking at the body, the dead bodies for the first time. I had already now seen a dead body. 
and um, but it, I think it, it, it I, I probably never fully processed um, this kind of trauma um, and and then uh, 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 you know, kind of thought about the implications of of death and and uh, longevity or you know you're 21 years old you're indestructible and so forth um, but on the other hand it did make the transition oddly enough a little uh, a little probably a little less traumatic um, so that was my first day of anatomy class so I, I I will never forget that do you remember your first day of anatomy lab Dustin and did you have any preconceived notions going into it well I remember you know I had my I had my new gray scrubs on. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And, you know, I was kind of getting used to what I looked like in those. And you liked what you saw. Oh, you know it, dude. First week of med school, uh, you know, you're hot stuff, right? So I, I walk over to the anatomy lab in, in our school. The anatomy lab is kind of tucked out of the way. Uh, and you walk through this door. And there's like a small room, uh, like an ante room, where you wash your hands and, you know, kind of put your stuff away. And, you know, anytime you're in a new place or new space, there's always it's always kind of, you know, strange or maybe a little bit unnerving. But in anatomy lab, you know what you're there to do. You know, you, you look out of the ante room and you see the body bags. You see the cadavers. They're, they're right there. And, um, you know, there's no escaping at this point, right? So, um, you know, I remember, you know, the sights, the smells, you know, all of it was very, it was very visceral in a lot of different ways. And, um, you know, I feel like, it, it kind of has to be that way because there's no, there's no legal way. Let me put it this way: there's no legal way to practice cutting on a human body <laughs> yeah, before no you get to killer yeah, prep work. Right. So you know, if, if you have extensive experience cutting on a cadaver before you get to med school, you're Dexter. Th- yes, something something illegal has transpired. Right. <laughs> All right. Let's hear what some of our classmates have to say. Shit, now you're recording. <laughs> so tell me more about this cat. You should have, uh, under the covers, done that, because now I'm just going to start saying weird stuff, now that I know it's recording. Under the covers? I don't think that's a phrase. Yes, it is. That's definitely not something people say, and it sounds a little sexual. <laughs> is that happening under the covers, Jared? Yes. I am Jared Colt, and I am a seasoned doctor. <laughs> And I'm a second-year medical student. First week was stressful as hell. Oh, my God. The first week is the worst week of the entire first year. For me, at least. I can, I can test But what happened for me is, um, you know, we had that thing Tuesday, how everyone went to uh, um, Peabody's. Yeah. Do you have to beep that out? Is it going to be like when everyone went to beep? <laughs> No, but anyways, everyone went to Peabody's, and I had some of their food, and I got uh, totally horrible food poisoning. Like, next day, 103 degree fever, like puking, shitting myself, you know, like, <laughs> am I allowed to say that? Yeah, there are no rules. And uh, it was horrible, so <laughs> everyone thought I was an asshole. Because they're like, this Jared guy doesn't want to talk to anyone. I'm like, oh, yeah, don't worry about me. I'm just dying over here with 103 degree fever. So my name is Jude Nowlow, and I'm a, well, going into second year of medical school. 
So I think for me, there was sort of an anticipation, so to speak, because everyone goes into medical school knowing that they're going to head into cadaver lab. Well, almost everyone knows. Uh, well, the first week we had cadaver lab, yeah. but before that, the um, no, I, had, I didn't even know it was a thing until I showed up that Monday. Yeah, my name is Patrick Cuchot, and uh, supposedly I am a first transitioning into second year medical student. Um, quite a shock the first couple weeks, you know, like, like you're first entering like a third world country, except all they have is books there, right? And like information. Except it's very first world. Yeah, very first world. Yeah, with cell phones and stuff. Um, I had no idea. I had no idea. I just, I would tell people that I'd meet over the summer. Yeah, yeah, I'm starting medical school. And everyone's like, I'm so sorry. Like, good luck. Like, it's going to be rough. And I'm, I just. They're so sorry. Like, it's a diagnosis. <laughs> like, oh, you only have 12 months to live, huh? Yeah, that's what it felt like. Because uh, everyone kind of had the same reaction. All right, so all I knew was that we were going to be working with cadavers. And I had no idea what that meant. Uh, I had never, I'd never seen a cadaver. I had, uh, you know, just experienced the passing of my grandfather a couple months before. So death was kind of a, you know, you could say a still fresh wound in a sense. But I'd never, never seen a cadaver, never worked with a cadaver. And we'll, we'll get started with, with your first sense, right? which passes does not pass through the thalamus and that's the sense of smell had to get that in uh, that's your sense of smell and i always like to tell people that formaldehyde is an appetite stimulant because it is but when you're in there it is not an appetite uh -huh. stimulant and it's a very uncomfortable feeling and i always uh there the only way you can describe the smell is by actually smelling it so we all kind of did the frog dissection in high school and if you got kind of like close to the frog, you could smell that just almost like a plasticky life kind of thing. I, it's very difficult to describe. And, you know, in high school, you saw the little frog and you, you could smell it. But as soon as you stepped away from your lab bench, I mean, it was done. You couldn't smell it. You walk into this room and that's all you can smell. It doesn't matter where you go. It doesn't matter if you cup your hands to your nose, which I don't recommend you doing. Um, it's just it's just overwhelming. And so that's, for me, that was, that was really the first thing. And the second thing, since I walked in late, uh, was seeing all the cadavers. So as I mentioned before, I'd never, I'd never seen a cadaver. I'd never seen a dead body. And I'm smelling this smell, and I'm getting a bunch of memories of, you know, frog legs. Don't make fun of me because I'm French. Let's set the record straight. Patrick is French-Canadian. And, and I see all these just kind of, like, petrified bodies and I'm, I'm pretty scared honestly the first thing we had to do is we had to flip the body and to do so we had to take off the little towel that covers the face and that was that was easily the weirdest part i mean you can look at external genitalia under there like all you want looking at the face is is easily the the most disturbing um part of of anatomy lab do you remember your first anatomy lab experience? Oh, yes, very much. Uh, I'm Dr. Srinivas Bharadwaj. Uh, I am an assistant professor at the Department of Internal Medicine, College of Medicine. I direct uh, the courses uh, musculoskeletal for the medical students here. And also I'm involved in tumor immunology. That's my research mm -hmm. enterprise. Uh, I think it was an old uh, person, old lady actually, who had donated, uh, and that was the first cadaver I saw 
in the anatomy lab. And my goodness, uh, I had nightmares for the whole week. Uh, even probably, if I can close my eyes now and think about it, I can, I can see that individual. And strangely to me, you always try to make sure that I don't look into the eyes of the individual or, um, or the face of that individual. So the face is not so clear, but the rest of the cadaver or the body is clear to me. Hmm. As I think back to that first day, and I'm Tabitha D'Souza, and I'm also an upcoming second year med student at USF. If I could just get a snapshot of everyone in my little group that met there, all of us strangers staring at each other over a dead body that would easily encapsulate the eyes wide open experience of a, a newbie to med school. Um, just the naivety and anticipation and apprehension and also just the, the humor of being found in strange situations together with a group of seemingly strangers. The very first time that I, I looked at our, our first body, while it still looked relatively human, though largely um, well-preserved, I felt some amount of sadness. And I think that the amount of emotion that I felt towards the, the former uh, human beings that were in the room with us were the strongest on the first day, because um, they were the most recognizable. and. There was some sadness um, and some conflict over treating as an object um, what once was a person. That comment Tabitha makes about treating as an object what once was a person brings me to my next question. Why do people name cadavers? Is it an attempt to add levity to lab? I mean, you did that, right, Dustin? Yeah, yeah. Um... Yeah, like first first week we named we named our cadaver. Um, we had a an older gentleman, um, and so we had to come up with it. Well, I wanted to come up with a name, so I suggested, um, and I should probably explain there in in um, in fructose metabolism, <laughs> there's an enzyme called aldolase B. It's the rate limiting step of fructose metabolism, and so we fittingly named our cadaver Aldo. Why did you choose fructose? But like. Was it because you just wanted to do something sciencey? Was there a I, reason that you were thinking about fructose metabolism during <laughs> cadaver lab? So, so a fructose metabolism, not specifically that, and maybe it was something sciencey, you know, Aldo, Aldo Lace. But uh, you know, he looked like a sweet guy. If that makes any difference to you. But, um. Anyways, so uh, and I should I should say that the uh, next voice you're going to hear is our good friend uh, Patrick Cusso. He's a uh, another medical student, and he uh, has the same cadaver. But on the different day of the week. So if I dissected Monday, Patrick's group would come in and dissect on Wednesday. And he similarly tried to name his cadaver, but with different results. Well, that's funny. I tried to get our cadaver named Simon after the pig in Lord of the Flies. But Wait, why, <laughs> why did you try to name your cadaver Simon? My, uh, my mom always told me this story in high school. She dissected a pig and... From Lord of the Flies, they have a pig, and it's, you know, there's a character named Simon. I don't even remember. I think the pig's name was Simon. And she named her pig Simon. And as I found out I had cadaver lab, and I told my mom about it, she was like, well, when I, you know, was in high school, I dissected a pig, and we named him Simon. So I, I just thought it kind of appropriate to name uh, the, this guy Simon. But no one, no one really took to that idea. 
did they not take to it because you told them your line of reasoning? Uh, I'd like to think so. Um, but, uh, I, I think naming is a good idea because, uh, it, it keeps kind of that human aspect to it. Kind of, it's easy, it's easy to go in there and just think of it as a diagram or like something that's not real, that wasn't living, something out of a textbook, something that you looked up online, but, uh, naming it really, it really brings it home. Yeah. It really brings it home. I don't, I don't even know how else to describe it as much as that it, it just it adds that human factor that really what is what you should be doing medicine for so i never named my whole group never named our cadaver and no offense to the people who do but i think it's like weird as hell because they're people and they used to be people and they had a name that their family gave them and i think it's like just really strange to kind of name them something else i guess the idea is they were once living and they're not anymore so they're not the same person so you give them a different name but i don't know like i feel like you're almost getting into like the pet rock scenario where you're just like naming an inanimate object and it's just weird like i've never heard of the pet rock scenario what is the pet rock scenario never heard of a pet rock no from like the 80s no it would, it would be a rock, and they'd name it, and they'd carry it around as a friend. Who is they? It, it was a big thing in the 80s. Google it. Well, I'm not going to Google it now, but you're not a child of the 80s. Where, like, where have you heard this, or where did you see this? I just know things, Chris. It's a thing I do. <laughs> I always felt that, can, that you name things that you possess. Uh, for me, naming always sort of implied possession. And, like, I was talking to Dustin about this, and he's like, well your parents don't own you and they name you. But I was like, that's not the same thing. And by naming them, I felt like in some way I was claiming ownership and that did not sit well with me. That, that's exactly the point I was trying to make with the whole pet rock thing. Like when you name something, it's, it's like you're, you're saying this is mine now. And it's different like when you have a kid, you name him because, you know, you made, you made them and... If you don't name them, <laughs> I don't know how the hell people are going to refer to them. But uh, when you name, like, that, that's, that was the point I was trying to make. Like, it's an inanimate object at that point. Like, it, it, was a, it used to be a person, and that had a name. But now that they're dead, it seems almost disrespectful, personally to me, to name them. Because they were their own person, and they are who they are, and that should be remembered. You shouldn't, give, you shouldn't look at it and say... Oh, this guy's name is George, but I'm gonna name him Jerry because now I'm, you know, now I'm cutting his body up, so I can do that. I don't know. That was me personally. I, I, I just didn't feel comfortable changing their name. Yeah, naming is definitely not the only thing students don't feel comfortable with. Uh, students often mention that face day in Cadaver Lab really gets to them. And Dustin, I was wondering why you think that is. Right. So I mean. Yeah, for it, well, first off, it does kind of occur earlier in the year than later. It occurs before the midpoint. Uh, we were doing, uh, in medical school, the neuro blocks, so everything about you know the brain and the spinal cord. But anatomically, that includes the neck, the, you know, the head, and the face. And, you know, you can, you can lie to yourself when you're, you know, cutting open someone's chest or someone's abdomen or just dissecting a limb, like an arm or a leg, and 
you can lie to yourself and say that this is an animal. This is not human. You know, this is this is um, just anything else other than human. But it is undeniable that when you get to the face, you are looking at, at a human. You're looking at, you know, a large part of what is the seat of our humanity, our brain, which conveys expression and emotion through principally our eyes and our face. And for me, face day is one of those things where, um, you know, that's the day when you go to anatomy lab and after that day, you don't go home and sit down at dinner and just have a normal dinner, have a normal conversation with your family anymore. Like after, after that day, that, that time has passed. Let's hear what made other students the most uncomfortable. But for me personally, we were dissecting the brachial plexus, which is a plexus of nerves in the arm. And it's a pretty critical structure that needs to be studied and something you really want to get a good handle on as a student. So I was pretty excited about seeing this. And from what I understood about the dissection, once you saw it, it would be pretty cool. So I was enthusiastic about this. Part of what we had to do to access the area was kind of take the arm and pull it back a little bit. And um, they recommended perhaps tying the hand back so we'd have good access. Well, in my enthusiasm, I broke the humerus of our cadaver and there was this very loud just pop that went throughout the lab and sort of echoed and I remember a ton of people just like who were nearby tables turning around and staring at me and here I am holding this sort of like half limp arm now and I felt horrible. I felt so bad. I wanted to cry. I've now broken the arm of my poor cadaver, and I didn't do it on purpose, <laughs> and I felt terrible. I felt like I abused the poor guy, and I messed up my brachial plexus dissection on top of it all. But good thing is there's another arm, so it worked out. But then I got the moniker of Broke Baldwin after that, <laughs> <laughs> which persisted until like the fourth year roast that we had um, before we graduated. Like one of our, my classmates did a little roast of people uh -huh. funny things, and yeah, Broke Baldwin came up then. Turns out, Dr. Baldwin isn't the only person with plexus troubles. It's pretty specific. It was actually exactly one, uh, one time, and I still feel extremely guilty about it. Um, it's also something that's probably never going to leave me. Um, it could be made into a humorous story, which will be funny in five minutes when I explain. Um, Evan Horowitz, I'm now a rising second year medical student. Actually, I would say the brachial plexus is the first wall, true wall that you climb over in med school. For me, it was the first like slap in the face of like, yep, med school's happening. And I went to pull back her arm and I'm pulling and you know, you really got to get the arm at 90 degrees to get under to see the brachial plexus. And I wanted everybody to have the best view to be able to cut in there. And I'm pushing back, back, back. And I just hear, and I'm like, oh my God. And none of us really knew like what had happened. We weren't sure if, you know, a muscle snapped or, you know, that was like the pop of a bone, you know, like when you crack your knuckles or what. And I just held her elbow and I held her shoulder and I just kind of wiggled my hands around and I knew exactly what happened. It was complete through and through fracture of the humerus. That was, a, that was probably the most difficult time for the entire year was just knowing, you know, and then the next lab you have to come in and I, you know, go to work on the arm, you know, we're dissecting the biceps and the triceps. And I just, every time I would feel that humerus, I'd, I'd, you know, regret it. I wish I could like have that moment back to keep the body in 
at least its most pure form, you know, because you see these bodies get mangled, so to speak, and, you know, cut up in all different directions. And it's like, you know, that's enough. I didn't have to, you know, go and break the humerus on top of that. Beginning, our group had to separate the dura mater from the skull. And I don't know if you had to do any of that in the spinal cord or any at any time, but the dura is, you know, the outermost part of the meninges that, that you know, that is attached to the skull and kind of encases your brain. And you have to use a chisel to get it off. I don't know if you knew this. And you just have to fit the chisel in between and turn the chisel to separate the layers. And it sounds like you're breaking bone. And it is a very uncomfortable sound um, to hear, whether living or dead. And that, that kind of set this almost ominous kind of feeling for me because I had to do most of that. That was a very physical process, which even added more to the whole thought that, you know, I'm doing this to get a brain out. Like, you are your brain. I mean, you said it before. I, 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 I'll reiterate a little bit, but I mean, all your thoughts, all your feelings, everything you ever remember is still in there. And assuming that, you know, when they put the formaldehyde, everything kind of freezes, your neurons are still in the exact same positions that they were when you were thinking, when you were using them. I mean, if that doesn't, you know, give you chills, I don't know what will, because that was just such a strange feeling. I mean, that whole guy's life, everything he ever thought, every memory, and it's still, the weirdest part for me was that theoretically it should still be there, you know? It, it should still be in the same shape. All the connections should still be there. And um, I mean, emotionally that, that day, besides the first day, I, I would say was was the hardest day to get through. Yeah, I mean, and whenever you were talking about um, like having to put some elbow grease into the dissection, I think that's when it also got the most disturbing for me. Like whenever you had to manhandle the body in order to reveal structures and like, I can't believe I forgot this, but um, there was a time or whenever we were trying to see like the turbinates and the pharynx and the larynx and all the other stuff. And but the only way to really visualize them well is to saw the brain in half or saw the head in half. And I don't know how I got that job because I guess because <laughs> I guess I'm because I'm the tallest male in the group. <laughs> I, I, I guess. Um, or like perhaps I picked the smallest straw. I don't know what happened. But um, the week before that dissection was, we had to go into the jaw and um, cut parts of the TMJ off. And what that meant, and the, the ramifications of that were whenever, whenever we were trying to saw the head in half, every time I would press the saw through, the jaw would loosen and open. And so, like, as I was sawing the cadaver's head in half, it just looked like he, like, it kind of looked like he was screaming. And, like, that kind of still haunts me. And, like, I was definitely trying to make light of the situation by making jokes that probably weren't landing very well. Because I, <laughs> I don't know how you make that situation light or funny. No, that was, that was heavy. How do you sleep at night? Well, I'm probably not going to tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
Yeah, you did a good job of blocking that out. I'm sorry to bring that back up for you. Yeah, yeah Freud Freud would be very proud of this entire conversation because <laughs> yeah. we, we've just proven all of his theories with all these repressed memories. Just a great iceberg in, in there for you. And for some of us, our least favorite lab days had nothing to do with cadavers. <laughs> My least... You might... Don't, don't actually put this on the thing. My least favorite day was after getting broken up with because I spent <laughs> almost no time at all reviewing the lab and I came in hungover and had no clue what was going on so I stood there the whole time. Do, do you remember uh, what that dissection day was? Yeah, it was the pelvic area. <laughs> it was a horrible laugh. I might put that in the podcast. <laughs> to mark the end of Anatomy Lab and relationships gone south, there is a cadaver commemoration ceremony. It serves to show our appreciation for those who donated their bodies for our education. Right before our ceremony, Eugene, the de facto class guru, was charged with convincing our class to attend. Um, would everybody please stand up? Everybody, 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 everybody. Y'all were sitting for a very long time. Stand up, please. I request. Now, if you are planning on going to the silent teacher ceremony after this, please sit down. Oh yeah, see what I did there? Oh yeah, I'm going to try to hopefully convince y'all that are still standing to come with us. So everybody sit down, everybody sit down. Now they got wiggle. So when I got to the um, drum circle, I, I, I feel like I must have gotten there late. I think I got there like when it started, but they were already playing music. And it was just like really super upbeat, like like really upbeat music. But I remember, what, for like five minutes or so, they kind of played real upbeat music. And then the guy that was leading it kind of says, all right, let's have a moment of silence for, you know, our silent teachers. And then about five seconds later, he's like, all right, that's enough. All right, let's get back to the drum circle. <laughs> And I was like, what the hell? <laughs> and um, and then he just started like, he's like, all right, one, two, three, and then da 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 And so uh, I was really surprised because I was thinking, wait, uh, are we not, like, is that it? Is that, it? Is that all we're, we're saying? Like, no one's going to say anything, like, even for a couple minutes, like, you know, thank you for silent teachers for what they did or anything like that. But... Yeah, it was funny. It was it was about 30 seconds of that and then about 45 minutes of hitting drums uh, to an upbeat tempo, which was fine. Like, I had a lot of fun doing it, but I didn't feel like I had uh, thanked my silent teachers at all. Yeah, I think, um, at least for me, uh, and I'm not sure if this is because of my science background, but just how my brain works and how I approach situations, I was just sort of naturally skeptical to the whole enterprise. And whenever we were all drumming and making noise and like we had devoted 10 seconds to remember to commemorating those who donated their bodies, Dustin leaned over to me and said, how much do you think this guy knows about anatomy? And then we both burst out laughing because the answer was probably none. And I think, at least for me, that's why I was not opposed to a drum circle. I thought there should have been more room for the actual students talking about how the or what the cadavers meant to them 
Um, I feel like there should have been, been people yeah, I feel like there should have been more reflection and like they're also, and I don't think this was done. Um, I don't remember like receiving an email about like, we're going to be doing this thing. If you want to come forth and say, and say something about your cadaver, please do. Or like, if you want to say a poem or if, if you want to like compose a piece of music, now's your time to present it. And I don't think that was ever an option. Also too, whenever you have a commemoration ceremony led by a stranger, it's going to take a lot for that stranger to gain the understanding and trust of the people who actually went through the experience. And I think that's where the skepticism and the problem with the, with the commemoration ceremony as done lies. If it's led by a stranger, like you don't, you weren't there for any of this. So what makes you qualified to commemorate these people? Well, it's funny because I remember leaning over to Abby, one of my friends that went with me, and I was like, I don't think this guy actually knows what a silent teacher is. Does, do you think he knows it's a cadaver? Because <laughs> he was like, yeah, our silent teachers are great. Yeah, woohoo!" And uh, um, I thought it was one of the funniest things I thought about it too was that he spent more time doing this weird thing where we look over to our partners and tell them how awesome we they are and how awesome we are and I'm like what does I mean it's nice it's fun but like what does this have to do anything with our uh our cadavers like wow we're so awesome like in a circle we're all so awesome but it's like what does this have to do with our cadavers at all the way that it was done was very interesting to me um coming into medical school i didn't know that it was going to be maybe like less than 100 medical students banging on drums and making noise um but it seemed so appropriate at the time um I know that it was called silent teacher ceremony and that was the interesting thing about it because we were just making noise. Um, but we were making noise in synchrony. We spent all year working together to overcome a boundary that if we weren't in medical school, we wouldn't have been able to overcome. And I think that that's the interesting thing about medical school. Um, I've been able to foster relationships and friendships in this in medical school faster than any other time in my life. And that's because medical school forces you to work together and overcome boundaries that we definitely wouldn't have faced. You know, in, in no other circumstance, in any other career path, would I ever have had to work with anybody to dissect a body or anything that, that's that kind of, you know, it's grotesque in its own way, but it's also, you know, it, it makes you dig down to the deepest emotions in your heart, I guess. Um, to find out, you know, what you really feel about things. And it kind of solidifies your idea of what it is to be living. So Tabitha said that, you know, anatomy lab, anatomy lab brought a great amount of idea of what mortality meant. And you kind of realized what the brevity of life was in that instance. And, and in that moment, when we were in the drum circle, you kind of, it's a very like, um, you release a lot of emotions um, in that, because you release all the stress that you had during the year and in that moment of finals week and you're just there to just bang on a drum and it's the greatest thing ever. Um, should that have been more somber? I don't necessarily think so. Um, learning is a very positive experience for me. And a drum circle kind of reunites everyone and kind of continues the story of what we've been doing all year and that's just working together. If, if, if you didn't participate in the drum circle, you didn't get anything out of it. For those who participated, like clearly, they were just having a blast. Like just jumping around, like 
didn't give a shit because they were having fun and the people in the center were having fun. And like, you could also tell that uh, the drummer, like the main, the main drummer, I think his name is Ice. Um, he, yeah, he has a very Christian name, but he goes by Ice, I think. Um, you could tell it was not his first rodeo because uh, he's probably become adept at disarming people just like me. But I think if you go into that situation with my attitude, you're not going to leave the drum circle with a positive view about how it, um, about like whether or not it commemorated the dead or any of that stuff. So I think, and I think this goes for all situations, that what you put into it is what you get out of it. And I think you could say the same thing about Cadaver Lab. I, I like, if I could add on to that, um, oh. <laughs> um, the drum circle was literally a running metaphor of anatomy lab in the sense that, and I, I just thought of this now, that we all went into anatomy lab with a degree of awkwardness. And we all went into the drum circle with a degree of awkwardness. I certainly did, because I looked around and I saw drum circles and I had no idea what I was going to do, just like how I picked up a scalpel on the first day and said, I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, you can't read about it. You just have to be hands-on and do it. And yeah, as you were saying, by the end of the ceremony, everyone was smiling. Everyone Suddenly, all those barriers of awkwardness were completely toppled. And that's how we were at the end of anatomy lab. I mean, the end of anatomy lab was basically reproductive. The reason why we don't head into reproductive on the first block is because we'd all be giggling. We'd all be giggling. But by the end, everyone was very serious about it. But at the same time, like we recognized that there was nothing awkward about the situation. So... I, I would see how the drum circle would be like a commemoration of Anatomy Lab because it kind of did follow the theme. Um, another thing that I was thinking is, is there an actual correct way to commemorate the dead? You know, it, there's so much variability in that, the way that we all express emotions and react to death and mortality. Um, and I think just as we react to death in general and seeing the cadaver for the first time, um, a lot of emotions could be taken out of the drum circle and anatomy lab, you know, mm -hmm. in the same way. You know, I'll have to give a little background about my, my spirituality in order to answer this question correctly. Um, I believe that there are a lot of things that we don't understand and there are a lot of just like kind of energy and, you know, Pachamama spirit kind of deal and... Wait. What is Pachamama? Pachamama is uh, a Peruvian goddess of the earth, I think, or something like that. My girlfriend just came back from Peru, so um, they're they're very uh, you know spiritually oriented. Can I there. call your Pachamama now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can call my spirit animal Pachamama. And so she just came back talking about this a lot, and and I really like that that kind of you know we can we can put in good um, to nature, and and we can get good out of nature. And so it's a little bit unrelated, but that's kind of what I think of when I think of this drum circle commemorating the dead. Um, we're, we're, we're commemorating their sacrifice with our life. I feel that the drum circle did a good job of, of kind of bringing it together, um, you know, kind of take your shoes off and just kind of feel, feel the energy, feel the music. And it didn't necessarily commemorate them in terms of like what their sacrifice was but I felt like it symbolized kind of their energy that they put in, you know, at their death, thinking I want to give more and us kind of giving that drum circle of, you know, that's assuming that drum circles kind of give this, this very positive vibe. And 
It sounds like I'm super high when I'm saying this. But <laughs> How many pots have you smoked? Yeah, yeah, I'm at three pot, Patrick, right now. So, The Anatomy Lab faculty also attend the cadaver commemoration ceremony. This year happened to be the first year that Dr. Arslan was unable to attend. Um, I would generally would um, uh, read a, a poem um, about the, uh, the value of of uh, life and death, how we respect the death and so on, and uh, uh, the important role that the, uh, these donor bodies play. I asked Dr. Arslan if he wanted to read one of those poems. He said yes. This poem, called Set a Blade of Grass, was written by Khalil Gibran. Set a blade of grass to an autumn leaf, you make such a noise falling. You scattered all my winter dreams. Said the leaf indignant, low-born and low-dwelling, songless, peevish thing. You live not in the upper air, and you cannot tell the sound of singing. Then the autumn leaves leave de- lay down upon the earth and slept. And when spring came, she waked again, and she was a blade of grass. And when was autumn, and her winter sleep was upon her, and above her through all the air, the leaves were falling, she muttered to herself, Oh, these autumn leaves, they make such a noise, they scattered all my winter dreams. And why did you choose this poem? Um, it, it has a lot of meaning. It's applicable to our lives, that everything has an end. Uh, one day you could be high up, and another time you'll be low down. So this is a cycle that all human will go through. It's a lesson for humbleness and seeing that this eventually would happen to all of us. So Dustin, knowing what you know now and seeing what happens when unskilled hands are unleashed onto donated bodies, would you donate your body? I mean, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I have no need for it you know, at that point anymore. And honestly, you know, I did, I did a lot of studying out of, you know, uh, textbooks and out of, and in lab and, you know, watching, um, you know, like instructional videos and that sort of thing. But I honestly feel like there, there will probably never be, and you know, we've, there are people that have different opinions on this, but I honestly feel like there will never be a more effective way to learn how a human is put together other than to simply deconstruct one. And, and when you go to anatomy lab, that's, that's really what you're doing. You're, you're, you're reverse engineering, so to speak, a human being. And I personally would much rather have future physicians um, learn their anatomy on my cadaver in a cadaver lab rather than learn their anatomy you know, on the job, in the clinic, on living patients. Okay, let's see what other folks have to say. Yeah, I would definitely. Which, you know, coming from me in this perspective, sitting in your living room, you know, drinking a beer, I'm definitely in no position to properly answer that question. Uh, I believe, you know, um, who there's some Chinese philosopher said that, you know, you can spend your whole life with a man, but as soon as you put him over the volcano. That's when you truly get to know him. You know, as soon as you put his life on the line, that's. That's when you really get to know who you are or who that other person is. So as much as I can say this now in, in the comfort of your home and this air conditioning and everything, um, which feels great. I'm really glad it's fixed, by the way. Um, 
as much as I can, I can say that in all these comforts I have right now, you know, when, when it comes to that time, I'd hope that I would, you know, continue to, to feel this way. And I imagine that I will. Um, but you never really know until seriously faced with that question. But, you know, like on, the, on that note, I saw pieces of flesh from one cadaver being thrown into a burn box of another cadaver. Um, and it's just like those little parts of, you know, disrespect is a reason why I'm, I, it's sad, but I believe that, and I, I could be completely wrong here, but I believe that most medical students and most people in the medical field who have gone through a cadaver lab don't want to donate their bodies to science, quote unquote, in terms of donating it to a cadaver lab. Um, it's sad, but it's like, you know, it's one of those things you, you see the process through and, you know, you, basically, you know, ignorance is bliss kind of thing. Um, had, had I not seen that, I would say, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll donate my, my body to science. You know, it's, it's a good thing to do. But going through it and seeing it, it's like you see what it really entails. And I don't know. It's, it's kind of sad. But I, I think that a lot of the medical community kind of feels the same after being exposed to that. Would you ever consider donating your body to science? I don't know who in God's name would, would want it, but uh, um, certainly I have already signed my donor cards. I think my, my preference would probably be for transplant to help the living. Um, but uh, uh, in lieu of that, absolutely. Do you have any advice for uh, the incoming class of medical students who, are, who in a couple months will be starting Anatomy Lab? Well, you know, it, it's, it's, first of all, it, even today, even with our knowledge of the human genome and and uh, and all the other enormous amounts of data that that you are imparted with that we didn't have to because it didn't exist, um, anatomy is still unique. It's still kind of what makes medical school different than anything else, um, and so it should be approached with a certain level of awe uh, and reverence for the the folks that have donated their bodies. Um, it's also uh, particularly for folks that ends, end up going into surgical fields, it's, it's a testing ground. Do you have the ability to, to perceive things in three dimensions? Do you have hand-eye coordination to dissect? Um, if you don't, you're, you probably aren't going to be a surgeon. Um, if you do, then you know, this, it might be your, the first hint that, uh, that surgery is an area that, uh, that you, you may want to pursue. Um, and I would say that, that, that from my perspective, you know, I wasn't terrible at, 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 from a dissecting standpoint, and I was pretty good at anatomy. I got honors in it. I was pretty good at it, um, and had a, I realized I had a knack for, um, for seeing things in three dimensions, and in my career ended up being in ultrasound, obstetrical ultrasound, and in, uh, as a surgeon, as an obstetrician. So, um, I would say that, that, that in some ways it helped um, create the foundation for what I ended up doing professionally for right up to the present. And to bring it all home, a final message from Miss Jude Nalo. What Tabitha said, because I completely agree that self-reflection and self-awareness are really important. Um, recognizing that you're going to be working with your peers, and so there's no level of like haughtiness slash, you know, do not be haughty, but do not degrade yourself. That's find the common ground with your peers. Um, and there's a lot of 
different personalities in medical school and you will click with some of them and that doesn't mean you won't click with others but you just have to find the support system for you and make your medical school learning experience the most positive because if you're not supported in medical school it's very difficult to continue because it, it is by itself a challenge so self-reflection, if you feel a particular emotion, you have to know, well, why am I feeling that emotion? If I feel upset about something, why am I feeling upset? I, dissect why you are upset about something. Dissect why you're happy. And I think that that has you know, helped me throughout medical school. So it's like you're dissecting human body, you're dissecting your emotions. You know, <laughs> It's a very circuitous kind of theme. And maybe, maybe that's what all this is. Maybe we don't need to cut into a human corpse to understand anatomy. Maybe we could get it from textbooks or from a big iPad. But the fact of the matter is that students continue to undergo this morbid rite of passage year after year. Anatomy Lab is clearly for learning anatomy, but maybe there are lessons beyond anatomy. And just like Dr. Arslan put it, the lessons you learn just may be in humbleness. Don't tell me we Life's about making memories. I started making memories when I was very young. I kept making memories all my life. And my grandmother used to say, life's about making memories. And you only get one chance to make them. Because, you know, it's yesterday. If you start thinking about it, you know, like, oh, well, maybe when, and if this happens and that happens, you know, we'll do this and do that. No, you just get up and you do it. You just take off in the car and, and you just go wherever. Lolly Carney, Dr. Baldwin, Dr. Kutro, Florida's Anatomical Board, and all the medical students and faculty here at USF MCOM for their interviews and input. We'd also like to thank Galen Lee for letting us use her song, Someday We'll Linger in the Sun. She was the 2015 winner for NPR's Tiny Desk Concert, and you can find more of her music on iTunes or at www.violinscratches.com. This podcast was funded by the Office of Rise, and our theme music was composed by Dustin Dunham. As always, thanks for listening.